what one thing I really don't like at the moment is this whole like, oh, how to monetize your hobby. Yes. But then it's not a hobby, you know? Like Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Who Moved My Back in podcast. I'm your host, Clytie Tammy, and I go by that girl Tammy on all socials. This week, I am joined by Ifiginwa Frederick, who is a writer and entrepreneur. She is the co-founder of Chukuz, which is the first Nigerian tapas restaurant. And she is also the writer of the screenplay, The Hose. In this episode, Ifiginwa and I sat down and had an in-depth discussion about what life is like for an entrepreneur who has more than one business. So Ifiginwa is, like I said earlier, is a co-founder along with her brother of a Nigerian restaurant and she is also a full-time writer. This was very, very important to discuss because, as you know, I have two businesses, which is BQ London and Melody Box. So it was really, really nice to sit down with somebody and discuss what juggling life is like. What was also very interesting to discuss with Ifeinua is that she went to Cambridge University and studied classics. Upon finishing that, she traveled to teach English. She said that this was to challenge herself to learn French and better her French because before she went, her French was not as great as it is now. So she left, went to a non-English speaking country so that she can get to learn the language better. I think that was absolutely amazing. When I often think of places to visit, my first thing is do they speak English? So to speak to someone who made the effort to go somewhere so that they can learn the language better was absolutely amazing. We also touched on seeing a therapist, the stigma around seeing a therapist and why me and her support it so much. It was so, it was such a refreshing conversation. Honestly, everything we spoke about, it was like we saw each other, you know, we see each other. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, download, review. You don't have to do anything, everything. You can just do one of them. Uh, It really helps the podcast get found by other people. And I'm just trying to make sure that the stories we're telling about black women get heard by as many people as possible. So share, like, review, and tell your friend to tell a friend to tell a friend. Here's Ifiginwa. So actually, my first question was actually how things have been for you since with the whole lockdown because you guys formally opened your doors in February last year and then March you had to close. Yeah, it's, um, it's been a journey, um, both from a professional point of view in terms of the business, but also personally. Um, I, so I love, uh, ancient philosophy. I do a lot of reading of ancient philosophy, um, in particular like stoicism and um like one of my favorite texts talks a lot about um like even this morning I was reading it essentially like you can't necessarily get upset when things happen because you have your own plan but the universal providence or whatever you want to call it um has its own plan and sometimes things that seem bad aren't necessarily bad they're just like actually events are often just neutral 
um, but in that moment in time, because you wanted a different outcome, you've perceived it as bad. Sure. Um, and I've had to like really lean on that a lot during this time. Um, because when we first closed, I was literally devastated. Um, and it was really, really frustrating. But whilst it wasn't what I planned or what we planned, some really great things have come out of it um, from... We got to start our Chukus chat series, which was an interview series of um, Nigerians that we'd wanted to do for a long time in video form. We got to launch the Chop Chat Chill Kit. So now people are able to experience the Chukus food um, and also the like the environment of Chukus that were packaged up outside of Tottenham. And, the, you know, it's going to places like Edinburgh and Manchester. And so whilst it hasn't been the easiest year by any means, um, and it's been a challenging year, some really some really positive things have come out of that and I just have to really go looking for them when I get by myself getting a bit worn down and similarly on a personal level um you know I've been able to in, in some ways take some more rest um at, at, at certain points I would say that's maybe not the case anymore but there was a point where I was able to get more rest um I guess it gave me an opportunity in some ways to do some more writing um, and then also like I've really I've really enjoyed I guess being at home with my siblings like we all li- live really really busy lives and it's actually been quite nice but actually no we're not competing with attention from like friends or uh, outside activities like theatre and everything and it's like yeah we're just actually home um, so yeah it's it's it hasn't been um, the easiest of years it hasn't been the funniest but I also would say I've, I've actually gained a lot from it and there's this um there's this quote in this book that I read not stoic and stoic book but um the person writes there are always flowers if you wish to see them and so I like I thought I can get quite anxious at times and so all like down about things not going to plan yeah I'm really trying to train myself into like going looking for the flowers and like what are those what are those flowers what what is the good in what I'm experiencing right now and it can be difficult like I am by no means suggesting that like bad stuff can just have a positive spin but often there is a something in that and it's, it's very rare that life is all bad and in the same token it's actually very rare that life is always good it's a bit of yin and yang and I think this year has actually been <laughs> uh the universe clearly knew I needed that lesson and <laughs> has been trying to get me to learn it <laughs> quite aggressively <laughs> So, um, so that's quite interesting. I think I actually have to agree with you. I mean, you know, there's that old saying that, you know, you make your plan and God laughs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, so you do have to, you make your plan, but then you kind of have to go with whatever the universe gives you and how things work out. But what I wanted to find out, I wanted to go back to like how you grew up. So you see, how many siblings do you have? Three. I've got an older brother, Emeka, who most mm-hmm. people know that I run Tricky's with. Yeah. And I've got an older sister um, who actually looks like a mini-me because she's shorter than me, but we look very alike. Um, and then I've got my little sister who hates the fact that I always call her the baby because she's approaching 21 now, but she will always be like the baby to me. Yeah, she is the baby. <laughs> <laughs> so you've you've all had like a close growing up. What was your growing up like? I was I was watching one of your interviews that you did with your brother, and you were saying that um, you know growing up you were very close and you do like the cool runnings together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a big 
big family persons. Like anyone that knows me knows that like my siblings are my best friends. I think my parents are incredible humans. Um, like they're two of my favorite people. They're so ridiculous and silly and in, in such fun ways. And they've yeah. taught me a lot about life and what it means to grow older, but whilst maintaining youth, being youthful. Um, so growing up, so I grew up on the border of East London and Essex. Um, okay. So like Dagenham? Uh, near there, around there, nearby. Yeah. And I spent a lot of time... <laughs> running around Rumford as a teenager, like with my mates <laughs> in Essex. And so I've often, like, I typically would describe myself more as an Essex girl. Um, like, actually, I feel like London is a place in its like entirety I came to know more when we started Chickoos because we were, like, scouting in places across London for pop-ups. And my school was in Essex. Uh, most of my friends lived in Essex. When I first started going out and clubbing and my formative experience, they were all, like, uh, centered around Essex or in and around Essex. So were you going to like the Sugar Heart? And uh, that's the only place that I know, to be honest, in Essex. <laughs> no, it was I. Uh, <laughs> I frequented Liquid and Envy. That was is my, that in um, uh, Basildon? Uh, Rumford. That one is. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rumford, near, near the station, I would be there. I think it was like free entry before ten or where whenever free entry was. Me and my mate were there in the queue. <laughs> Because, and it's, I was funny, I laugh about it now. Like, I think cloakroom must have been, the cloakroom could have only ever been two pounds, but we never took coats because we never wanted to pay for cloakroom. No one ever paid for cloakroom. I never <laughs> took my coat in the cloakroom. But now I'm, I, I'm rolling up to the club <laughs> if I'm going out in like a duffel coat. Like, I remember in uni, one time I went in my jogging bottoms and everything. And then when I got to the door, I stripped everything off and packed it in my bag and was in my outfit because I was so cold. But oh, back yeah. then, as a teenager, now. I was just going to shiver and <laughs> shiver and pay for um, <laughs> and not pay my entry and not pay my cloakroom. It was very close to my sibling. Like we have always been close. Um, yeah. And I don't think I realised how close we were until I started interacting, until other people watched us and they okay. would comment on it. Was for me, I thought the way we were was natural. Like, obviously, you would just do this. Obviously, you would spend time making a car together for your mum or, like, spend time coming up with a surprise for your dad. And, like, that's very much still our energy. Like, our parents have just both had their birthdays recently. And we, like, yeah. gather in the group, we're like, okay, cool, what's the plan? Like, yeah, let's do this. And, like, all right, okay, I'll do this and then you'll do that. Um, and, like, we're very much a team. Um, so and do you all up... still live at home? Sorry? Do you all still live at home? Um, no, we're kind not exactly, but we're all very much in we'll the spend a lot of time together. Um mm-hmm. like very much in the same area. So like it essentially feels like um we all still live at home. Bar my little sister who's actually moved to Spain, uh, which has been interesting. Um it's an interesting thing to get my head around as a her older sister. Like I ha- I now haven't seen her for a year um because of the lockdown. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, she's doing amazingly. Like I feel so proud of her actually. Like it's it's not an easy thing to live abroad. I've done it. I know it's challenging. And, and then to do it in the middle of a pandemic and you don't have the choice, essentially, you can't come home. And yeah, while she is the baby, I don't know if actually at 20 I would have dealt as well with it as she has. I think about it. So how old were you when you moved? Because you also moved. You and your brother both left England and went to different countries for a bit. Yeah. Uh, when I moved to Mynique, best experience, well, one of the best experiences. I think you can always have more experiences of my life. Um, so university was very, very, very intense. 
um, for me. And I knew that I wanted to take some time out after uni. Mm -hmm. And I'd actually originally wanted to apply to study French and Latin. But at the time I was applying to, I knew I was going to apply to Cambridge. And someone said to me that uh, if I've got French on my application, part of my interview will be in French. Okay. And I was like, uh-uh, like, I didn't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, like, and the thing is, I I was actually probably better at French than I realised, but at the time, my confidence wasn't there. And I I thought that without the French, I stood a good chance of getting in. Mm. But interviewing in French was likely to trip me up. And I was like, do you know what? That's fine. Let's just pause on that. I don't actually have an interest in learning French history or French literature or any of that stuff. I just want to learn how to speak the language. Whereas I love like classical culture. So I was like, let me go and apply for classics. And at some point in time, I, like, I made a promise to myself, at some point in time, Ify, you will move country and you'll go to live in a French speaking country. So as uni was approaching its end, I applied for the British Council scheme to go to be a teaching assistant. Um, and you choose, you apply by choosing which department you're going to go to. Mm. And so then I opted for Itzramer, which is like all the departments outside of mainland France. So they've got, um a couple in the Caribbean reunion in French Guyana and then I like I knew I wanted to go to Martinique and so I put into my application like lots of things to do with Martinique in culture and then I remember the day I think it was like April 24th when I got the email to say I'd been accepted I ran out of the library and I screamed I was just like I'm <laughs> out of here like this is what I needed because I don't think for me Whilst I enjoyed my time at Cambridge overall, Cambridge wasn't really the uni experience I'd anticipated where, and I kind of knew that to be honest, when people talk about uni being like, oh, I was just like, lots of like messing about, like that wasn't really my Cambridge experience. Mm -hmm. And and so I didn't, I never felt completely relaxed while I was there in the way that other people would talk about uni being fun. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of felt like I deserved that, like that, downtime that I never really got a uni or I felt like I didn't get a uni and so yeah then I moved to Martinique that summer or that September after I graduated um and I lived there for about eight months and it was it was it was incredible it was it was difficult I think moving country often people can think can see it as like being really idealistic but it's actually quite hard to yeah. start again um to build a network and Fortunately enough, I guess I was there as part of the British Council scheme. So there were other teaching assistants there. So there was like a ready formed network. But when I arrived, my friend, I was like, wow, I'm really realising the limitations of my French. I remember when I went to go and get my phone sorted, I was relying on this man that I'd met in a shop. Yeah. And he was like, he said he would help me. And he told me where I would, should meet him. But then I realised I didn't know the, the word that he'd used. I didn't really know what they meant. So I remember texting my sister in England. Oh, I do, yeah, I must have contacted my sister in England being like, can you translate this word for me? What does it mean? And so she put it into Google, sent it back. And I was like, oh, I meant to meet him by the blue van. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, the whole, and the whole time when I opened, yes, when I, when I did my phone, because like the people there, as in the, the business people I was dealing with in the phone for, they didn't have the patience to break it down with me so he was breaking it down with me so I would kind of like back and forth to him like I kind of mean this and blah 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 like in my broken French then he was just translating it all and got sorted similarly with my bank account it's the same thing so actually when I moved to Laval a year later Mm -hmm. um doing a similar thing I felt really proud because actually all the stuff I'd had help with before I did all by myself I was able to sort my phone I was negotiating with my landlord 
Um, I opened my bank account. Like I, I started going to dance in French as well. And I just, I felt like so incredibly, yeah, proud of what I'd achieved because I remember when I started in Martinique, I was like left, right and centre. I, I used to hang up when people used to call me and I'd tell them to text <laughs> I couldn't hear if I couldn't see your lips moving I didn't stand a chance of hearing what you were saying yeah but I, but I could write so I'd be like talk to me <laughs> yeah and, um that was it was an adventure and I met some really brilliant people and yeah some really special people in my life who I'm still in touch with today it's been five years and oh, like wow. even when we just catch up and talk um there's, there's actually in particular there's there was a group there's three of us or me and then two other girls one that lives in Scotland and one that lives in the States um and when we can we try and meet so the last time we met we all met in France and um, we just hung out and it's yeah it was it's always just like so good to see them and they're just individuals that if that experience hadn't if I hadn't moved to Monique I'm not sure when or how uh like paths would have crossed and we're all kind of bonded by the fact that that's where we met and it was a time in our lives that actually because most of us didn't go home for Christmas or anything like that no one else really got a window into what that period of time was like properly um, Mm. for us Uh, yeah it was really special that's really cool I think the thing is I think I've always fantasized about moving countries in my head I'm always like I want to start over because I look at some of my friends who have come to this country, like left mm-hmm. the home country and then came to this country. You know, my mom who left Zimbabwe and she came here and I'm always like, I'd love to start over somewhere. Mm-hmm. But then I think I kind of like romanticized the thought of it. I don't really, I don't, I don't think I think about it realistically that this will actually be very, very hard, especially now that I have a son to mm-hmm. think about. So there's many more logistics, you know, in the whole thing so I think when you did it was probably the ideal time when people should do it well it's interesting you say that because I still think I'd like to do it again um I feel like there's another I feel like I've got another move or two in me yeah um I just don't know when where would Um, you go sorry where would you go uh I'd love to go to Senegal oh wow yeah um yeah I so when I was in France I fell in love with the idea of going to Senegal and moving to Senegal. I'd never been. And I just became like obsessed, in particular with Dakar. Um, and I used to follow uh, this Instagram account called Dakar Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just tell everyone I'm going to go. And I'd tell people, oh, yeah, when I move. And they're like, oh, when you move? And I'm like, oh, no, I don't know when. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> <laughs> to It's going to happen. I just don't yeah. want to get But then in 2018, I actually went. Um, I went for three weeks on a solo trip by myself. And... It was like, yeah, it's up there basically. Like Martinique and my time in Dakar, like that was one of my, what again, another like amazing experience. I think in particular, cause I was by myself yeah. and there's something about, like for me, there was something essentially about surrendering to where I was. I know a lot of people were nervous before I left. They're like, you're going to navigate this country by yourself in France, in French rather. Um, and again, it felt like it felt like my kind of prize for having committed to learning French because actually if I didn't speak French, I wouldn't have managed that, I don't think, by myself. Um, and I kind but of... But do they not speak English at all there? No. Oh, it's, right. Um, yeah, it's French, French is the main language. And then you've got uh, Wolof, um, which is like the native language. Oh, wow. And, and so, and even then... 
I know that my accent meant that I wasn't being understood um, mm-hmm. at times because actually it's a bit like, you know, people speak English differently across the world. Um, and so that was challenging. And sometimes I was in taxis and I was like, I have no idea where we're going now. <laughs> I was like, this is definitely not where I said to take <laughs> Here we go. But I think actually my, my experience in Martinique, I think has made me quite brave in that. And I, I've become quite comfortable in just like trusting. So I remember one time being at lunch at this restaurant and then I just got chatting to the waiter um oh and I'd lost I had some issue with my phone I lost my phone and then I lost my shoes <laughs> and my flip-flops in the water it was a very <laughs> complex day <laughs> but anyway we ended up chatting then he was teaching me some bits of up and then I was like oh I want to go to this place can you take me there and he's like yeah come by ne- like the next day and I'll take you and then that would just happen and stuff like that like I just I love I kind of love what comes about when you're traveling abroad and I to the extent I can I try and keep I try and I think what happens is when you're abroad you tend to be quite open or I tend to be particularly open yeah but things just happen and so I, I work on trying to maintain that when I'm here in London or in the UK um because I think that actually when you stay open you can have similarly beautiful experiences and I've had that like friends I've made I've made some really good friends off the back of like really mini encounters yeah. but I've been like that person's energy is great like I'm gonna I'm going to make time to see them again. Or I'm going to ask them if they want to stay in touch. Um, things that I know sometimes people are like, if you're very forward or that's not really the done thing here. But my, it might not be the done thing, but it's making my life a lot richer. Yeah. I told, I, I agree with you. I think, I, I think I'm also like that. Like you said, a lot of people are that when we're on holiday, we tend to, like I tend to buy more stuff that I wouldn't buy here. Like I, spend, I tend to spend more than I would if I'm on holiday, then I would hear, even if yeah. it's like worth it to be more or less the same price. So, but I wanted to go back and touch on like your uni experience. Um, so you said that you felt like it was a very high pressured environment and you didn't really get like the full uni experience that a lot of people get or talk about. Do you think that was because of your course or the university itself? So I think I should clarify what I mean about the yeah. uni experience. Um, like, you know, I don't know, like in presentations, in films, stuff like that, there's a lot of like just being about, like not really like, do you know, that's a presentation, just like being about with your mates and just like not really getting up too much. Yeah. So you're in that and then you go to do a bit of lectures. And I just don't recall that, like, obviously I hung out with my friends, though, don't get me wrong. But I just don't recall feel like there were just it was very rare that I felt completely at ease. Often I'd be like hanging out and I'd be like, all right, well, I've got to bounce in a bit because I need to finish this essay. Um, apart from like being on a night out, but even then it was like I knew when I was gonna be going out. And I think part of that was the university in the sense that it's like when you're at Cambridge, it's an essay a week. Um, so once you finish an essay you're thinking about your next essay like you put you've got like maybe like a 24-hour period (laughs) where you haven't got an essay title but then before you know it you're back on another essay and I think it's that combined with my personality because actually that like not everyone would say that other people would be like oh yeah it was fine because they would maybe just turn the essay around in a short space of time or how they manage things but the sort of personality I have just knowing there was another essay coming or something like that meant that I just found it quite difficult to relax now that doesn't mean I didn't do and also I'm just quite I'm also an intense person so instead of 
like actually there probably was an opportunity for me to have downtime but instead I decided to do dance shows and I decided I wanted to be in that play and do that thing so then like my my calendar was just full so I'd spend a lot of time like in a rehearsal room or something like that and then I'm coming back to do an essay um and then I've maybe gone out that one time then I'm like okay cool I haven't got much time left um so that's kind of what I meant that it, it there was very little time of just being like and I think it was partly how the university's like um, system is structured in terms of the workload, but also very much, I think, my personality. Like, I I just did as much as I could. And I remember my mum being like, in final year, are you just going to do nothing? Are you just going to take, like, focus? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I am. I, like, totally am. Like, totally am. After first term, when I do this dance thing, and then after second term, <laughs> when I do my play. And then, like, after that, and I did it in my final term, I did nothing but study. Um, yeah. And I found it really hard. found it really, really hard, actually, um, because it just wasn't really me. But then, fortunately, my brother's birthday is in May. So I went, I came home and went out, out before exams, which, like, helped. So that means like this, this period, well, this last year has been like a big challenge for you in terms of a lot of us were forced to do nothing and to just slow down. And a lot, you know, most of the time when we're out or doing things, then all of a sudden we had nothing to do. So, um, yes and no. Um, I think this year did ask us to slow down, but I think actually due to other experience that I had like quite early on after we started Chikus, mm-hmm. I'd kind of learn, oh, I need to slow down. Like if I don't slow down, <laughs> my body is going to slow me down. Um, and I've started building in already to my weeks, like downtime. So like, I remember having a conversation with a friend and I was like, oh, I'm not available in that day. They're like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm not doing anything. And they're like, what do you mean? Then you're free. I was like, I'm not free. I'm not available because that's the time period at which I'm not doing anything so doing, it's not, doing nothing like, is something sorry <laughs> doing nothing is doing something yeah yeah and I was like it's not and because that's what I realized I would anytime I saw a free window in my calendar I'd put something on it um and that and so I, I try now to have like periods in my week that I've carved out as like time where I'm not gonna do anything and mm-hmm. I think I've had to be I've I've had to it's been a like process to really understand that doing nothing is doing nothing it's not I haven't had a free day if I've spent the day tidying and cooking and doing my food shop I haven't had a free day in a similar way like if I've actually spent it like chatting to a mate and maybe helping them with their problem whilst that makes me a good friend that's actually that is in itself energy yeah um, and that's what I like I realized that I I love socializing and being around people, but I also find it quite exhausting. Um, And I read a book called Quiet. um, It talks about the power of introverts and how people's energies work. So if I have, and like being in the restaurant, there's lots of people. If I then spend some time with some friends as well, and then I don't have any other time to myself, just me, like in my room, quiet, I really, really struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, And so actually in some ways, I've really, that's the thing I've enjoyed from this year because I've found it difficult at times um, communicating that effectively to people to, so that people have understood kind of like how I work. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually this year I found it really easy because I haven't had to like balance, oh, whether I should go to that event or whether I should t- honour myself and give myself the downtime because I've been able to just like carve out more time 
um and just be like okay cool I'm just gonna be in my room now and just like be silent like have silence like I love (laughs) I love the sound of silence and I love being alone um and I think it is because I am around people so much yeah so this brings that brings us very nicely to you wanted to talk about how you manage your emotional well-being um obviously being someone with a very very busy schedule and also um as a high achiever yeah how do you handle your emotional well-being I'd say with a lot of full starts <laughs> I've got it wrong a lot of times <laughs> and I'd say I'm still refining it and I guess the reason I wanted to talk about it is because and that's why I try to be as vocal as I can about it it is so easy to look at what someone else is doing and think oh man they've like got it they've got it together they've got xyz and actually it is quite possible that someone is seemingly winning externally but internally they're a mess or internally or in other elements of their life, things aren't together. Um, and, and similarly, I'm, I've become really aware um, of what I consider like the glamorization of entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, it feels a bit like the new celebrity um, and also this uh, like almost like hustle hard culture as if like, sleep well we'll sleep when we're dead it's like no you won't because you'll be dead there is no sleeping you're dead dead like why would you do that um and I and I just I am of the opinion that it is possible to do have an impact or to do the great things you want to do without risking your yourself and your health I just think that maybe that means moving slower than you intended and I just think there's such a element of like fast now like growth at all costs speed at all costs and actually that's not how a number of if we're talking at least in the business context that's not how a number of businesses that we see that are successful and sustainable today grew Mm -hmm. um and there are still a number of businesses that will continue to be successful that will grow slightly more slowly or whatever someone is working towards whether it's business or not um just this idea that oh to rest is almost weakness and you just push and push it's like, well, it catches up with you. Like you're leaving a you're leaving a, a footprint essentially on your on your body. Mm-hmm. And actually, most of us think we're fine, but we don't realize we're just running on youth. Like that is what we're relying on. We are relying on our youth. Um, and actually, at some point, maybe later down the line, we're maybe going to be more prone to another illness, or you know, like you know, maybe we'll have a stroke or something. Like, th- like these are real things that happen because of the undue stress and people will be like oh I don't feel stressed I don't feel stressed you might not think you're stressed your body like your adrenal glands can be feeling that stress um and and so like I really I I really really hate that narrative to be honest like I really really hate it and then similarly like when people ask me oh how do I do everything that I do I'm always very honest that actually it comes with a lot of sacrifices because I don't do everything I don't if I'm if I'm if there's a week where I'm working a lot then it probably means I'm not socializing or I'm not staying on top of x and like for example for a long time uh, I didn't watch I didn't watch a lot of stuff or I don't engage with a lot of stuff that happens online because it's like well I actually know I've, I've only got this amount of time and I need to sleep so what can I do um so for me exercise is like my thing um I used to run and then I injured myself because, again, I was running on youth and no. not actually strength training and other things. Um, but I'm now, I'm actually now back in strength training, but in the interim, I've kind of fallen out of love with it. But um, I'm big, like I've got a PT and she 
loves to put me through my paces <laughs> um and I do also a lot of strength training so like even this morning I was doing stuff yeah. um and I do I like exercise a lot um or I try to be active a lot I find it really helps my mind um really helps clear my mind um so yeah at the moment I'm doing it about four or five times a week which is so how are you exercising are you exercising at home or like outside no at home so I like even pre-lockdown I already had some equipment and okay. I bought more stuff like I got myself a TRX kit which I'm like obsessed with um I borrowed a kettlebell and a barbell from my brother but then he wanted the kettlebell back so I bought, <laughs> I bought my own I'm hoping he doesn't ask for the barbell back because <laughs> that's still something I haven't got um but then yeah I've got ankle weights like I've, I've got I actually prefer to train at home to be honest in the gym and like my ideal house would have a home gym and a home dance studio um so yeah exercise is exercise is really really big for me during the lockdown like going for just a walk um in particular this what in particular during this lockdown I think my daily walks have generally been helping me with my sanity Mm um I also I've journaled or kept a diary since I was 13 so I'm 28 now it's like 15 years and I can I can nearly always tell how I'm feeling by how often I'm writing yeah are you Um, more of a writer if you are feeling down or if you're feeling happy um it's more that if I'm not writing it's not a good sign like if I go for more than a few days without writing or if I've gone for a week without writing it normally means something's out of whack because it means I haven't made time in the morning to write, which normally means that I've just got up and gone straight into my day. So I haven't stopped before I've started my day. And that's normally like an indicator to that, if not that week, in about two weeks' time, something is going to go wrong and I'm going to, and my mood is going to drop. Um, and so, yeah, so write, like writing my diary is a really, a really, really um, big thing for me. And then also, I like actually just carving out time um so it's something I've been practicing I'm not great at it but noticing okay like oh I feel a bit funny today I'm like okay cool I don't feel great I don't feel great that's maybe the conversation I had with myself mm-hmm. and then I'm like all right cool well let's just get through the day but tomorrow morning or later tonight we're going to stop and look at that like what's going on there like wh- what is that where's that coming from and that's easier than said than done because there's some days I'm like look I don't want to look at that negative emotion I am not interested in finding out where that feeling has come from so move move on but as like my therapist would say when you do that it always crops up later and it kind of like explodes um so I I've been training myself to like face up um to what I'm feeling I do a lot of like I get quite anxious so I do quite a bit of like self-talk and something that I do that I find quite calming is I picture a lot worst case scenario and mm-hmm. um, so if I'm stressing about something I'll be like okay what's the absolute worst that will happen and then normally actually when I picture it it doesn't inf- it doesn't involve me dying it doesn't involve me losing my house it doesn't inf- and then I'm like okay cool fine I can deal with that yeah yeah like normally like most times the things I'm worried about involve some sort of loss of pride or ego like yeah. hurt to hurt to my ego really that's like most of what we perceive failures are like a, it's like a, just a, a slant to our ego and actually we'll be fine um and then I also I see my therapist once a week um which I just find like a really helpful space to just go and talk about what's going on um but something I'm working on which I haven't really nailed is being open about when I'm experiencing something difficult 
when I like given myself permission to say that. So because like this has been a really bad time and some people have had like some really bad experiences and things are like whilst it's not ideal with the restaurant, things are still going well. Um, like the kits are going well and so many things are going like moving in the right direction of writing but when I get personally frustrated about a particular thing to do with work or with do triggers or writing I'm not great at giving myself permission to just like complain a bit or then okay. and feel that because I'm like oh well you know you should be grateful that x and I've kind of I've noticed I've engaged in a bit of like toxic positivity where being like well you know you should just be so happy that and I'm like well no I'm not um, and there's a conversation I was having recently with my therapist about that. And actually, you you have permission to just be like, actually, this is annoying me. And actually, I'm not happy about that. You don't now that's not the same as saying you're going to sit in it. But just because you do have other blessings in your life doesn't mean you can't acknowledge the fact that something you really wanted isn't happening for you yeah. or isn't going away. And then it's just not to stay there. You know, you maybe think it, you say it, you vent it, you share it, and then you find a way to move past it whereas I've kind of stopped myself a bit I think sometimes at the feeling it stage or sharing it and I'm just feeling it inside and not saying anything I'm just like, oh I shouldn't I shouldn't complain I shouldn't I shouldn't say that because xyz or you know it could be worse and blah 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 yeah I think touching on everything that you said there I think what well, I because I started therapy last year in May um I think that was like two months into the lockdown I think I was feeling a bit anxious my anxiety was kind of getting a bit too much. So I started therapy and I found that it really, really helped me in the things that you were talking about. Like, for example, if I feel something like any neg- like a negative emotion, like I'm not aware of it. So I stop myself and I think, but why am I feeling that way? You know, is mm-hmm. it, is it like, let's say someone's done something. So it's, it's more like, did they actually do something? Or is it just how I'm taking it? Or yeah, perception, it, right? something in my brain that, like did it trigger something is that why I'm feeling Mm. like they did something bad but maybe the sentiment wasn't even bad it's just how I'm taking it based on my trauma or if some things have happened previously so I'm totally with you on that and I'm so glad that you've said that you're in therapy because I think it's just now that black people now were more we're welcoming therapy Mm. like we're understanding that it's needed it's not just for people that have psychological problems you know quote unquote it's something that we need like on a weekly basis, monthly basis, just to, because it's talking about something that most of us can't talk to with our friends and family, because sometimes maybe we're free of judgment or maybe we can talk to them, but then because they don't have the skills to really hone in on it, it the conversation is a bit different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they can't help you the same way. So I'm I'm really glad that that you brought that up. And also the um, you also talked about the toxic positivity thing and the entrepreneurship. I feel like especially if you're on Twitter, right? You'll see that people are always talking about grinding and grinding. You always have to grind, but the reality is people need to sleep. People need to rest. Yeah, and yeah. I actually have it sometimes. Like sometimes I'm just like I, I was on Facebook the other day. And one of the groups that I'm in, they were talking about, oh, it was Mother's Day, actually, on Sunday. So they were like, oh, you know, the happy Mother's Day post. And then he said something like, I'm sure a lot of you mothers are actually working right now. And I felt a bit guilty because I wasn't. Mm. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I'm really not. Like, I'm really, I haven't thought about doing any work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just really just chilled right now. So I think we need to normalize having days off 
yeah I think like we're we're supposed to and like it's like nothing can be for enjoyment like I I what one thing I really don't like at the moment is this whole like oh how to monetize your hobby yes but then it's not a hobby you know like it's not everything that you're like it that, there is this pressure at the moment like if you're good at something to like turn it into that phrase people use like a side hustle I hate the phrase but anyway um <laughs> And like to earn income from it but like some things you're just meant to do because you do because it does change your relationship to that thing like I, I'm when I was before going to uni I actually really wanted to go to dance college um and like one of the things my mom did say to me was like have a thing like go to uni in our discussion she said go to uni first and afterwards you will still want to go to dance college you can but remember that you she's like you love dance dance becoming your career might change how you relate to it and she wasn't saying not to do it and she was just saying that's some consideration and actually now I'm really grateful that I didn't and I have my career and other things and like dance still remains this like un like this untouched thing that I do that I love and I go and like it's for me completely for me um and I just, oh yeah, I, I think it's, there's such a narrative at the moment. It, like, it's almost like how productive can you possibly be as a human? <laughs> as if that's all we're kind of like here for. And actually life is to be enjoyed. And actually, and when it comes to the end of like our days, essentially, like some things will matter more. Like, were you able to just sit and chat with your mum or like and cackle over this TV show that you're maybe watching? Um, so yeah, I really feel that. And just on the therapy thing, I am a massive therapy evangelist. <laughs> like, I think I've I've got, I think I've put three of my, well, not put three of my friends in therapy, but like <laughs> helped edge three of my friends into therapy. Um, I'm very vocal about it. And I'm vocal about it for that reason as well, because I think that when I first went, like it's funny, the world's changed a lot, but I first had therapy 10 years ago um and then it felt like this dirty word I always felt really ashamed but if people asked me where I was going I'd be like oh, I've got an appointment I was like they were really like really not comfortable with it and like now like mental health conversations have like really moved on and people tend to be more open but it's the thing um and so I really try to be like look it's just like you can there are so many reasons why you can go it might be because you're having difficulties it might not be but either way it doesn't like really it doesn't, it doesn't really matter why you're going. I think going can be a good thing. Um, and like, I find it quite interesting because I would never, I would never shy away from saying I've got a PT and I've got a PT, not because I can't exercise by myself. I can, I can, I'm more than capable, but I'm better at, I commit to exercising more if I've paid her mm-hmm. and I push myself more when I turn up and I, I'm, I train my body more and so similarly with therapy, it's not that I can't cope, like, uh, right now, if I don't see my therapist, I actually can, I'll live my life, but I'm more, I keep myself, I'm more likely to honour making time for myself, because I've paid a therapist, um, <laughs> I push myself more in terms of, like, exploring what's come up for me, or difficult emotions, and she challenges me to, like, keep going, to keep looking at how can I improve myself, and again like I gain great awareness into myself um like I'm very I'm very much someone who's interested in how can I be the best possible version of myself in every particular way and I find that both PT and therapy like help me with that and that's 
and then also everyone benefits. I'm, 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 I know my relationships in my life have benefited from me being in therapy. And so I think whilst there's this idea that therapy is where you go when you're in crisis, A, if more people went before they were in crisis, they maybe wouldn't have got into crisis. But B, like I feel like therapy can have something to offer you, whether you're experiencing a difficulty in that moment in time or not. Because we just go through stuff every week. So, you know, stuff just gets on your nerves and it's just nice to be able to dump. And I think what you said is true. Is like, sometimes you can, you can't, it's not that you can't chat to your mates. Like I've got incredible friends, but A, people often advise you or list, like none of us are trained in listening objectively. And I know, cause I, I do it all the time. Like I'm not great at listening. You're telling me something and I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe so-and-so did that. Or like, oh yeah, but like, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm never just listening. And that's my own problem, right? That I'm never just listening. And then I'm not, I don't approach this conversation like a therapist. Uh, I haven't, it's really difficult for me as your friend to hear you tell me about this person that wronged you or seemingly wronged you and me not to be like, let's beat them up. <laughs> yeah. Instead of actually questioning, are you sure they wronged you? Is Because I'm like, no, but you're my mate, obviously. <laughs> like, <laughs> who do I need to fight? And and I think just because we're not trained in listening objectively or non-judgmentally, or also we carry our own stories into a situation. Like a great example is dating. If a friend, when two friends seek dating advice from the other the person never advises based on the facts in front of them well rarely advises based on facts in front of them they're based on what they've heard and what they interpret that to mean based on their previous experiences so if they've had a previous bad experience with a guy or a girl they'll be like yeah but you know it probably means that yeah if that you know if that person texting them straight away meant they were really into them they're going yeah but that probably means he's really into you but they're like missing all the other stuff and so we're just not, as a people in general, great at, and which is, I don't think that's our fault. No one taught us to listen non-judgmentally, to listen ob- and, and to speak objectively. Um, and so that's one of the reasons, like, I really enjoy going to therapy because that person, like, that person's whole job essentially is to just provide objective, um, not even advice, almost like steering. Yeah. I, 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 have, to, I have to confess that I did find it hard, well... Not in the early days. I think I've, I I done some hard sessions where you go in there and you're very upset about something. You're like, they did this, they did this, they did this, and a good therapist will challenge you. Exactly. Yeah, that's how you feel. But you know, like they make almost make it seem like you have to look inside yourself to see why you're so angry. Yeah, but it's yeah. not really about what that person said. Or did. and then you're ready to fight them because you're like, yeah. I didn't come here for this. <laughs> Yeah, like, and I said that. Like, I was. I said sometimes I say to my therapist, like, I'm really, I don't really want to be here right now because of what you're saying. <laughs> like, I, I haven't turned up to be dragged by you. <laughs> like, I, and that's and that's sometimes it feels like that. It feels like a dragon, and you've gone there with this beef and this issue, and they're just like you're throwing your toys out your pram, and you're like, well, you might think that. <laughs> But actually, <laughs> and it's good. It's humbling. And actually, if that came from a friend. Or in, or in particular, a family member, like a parent or something, you're you're like, you don't even know, like, you don't understand, of course you'd say that, or you, like, because we're carrying the part of like, our history with that person, and yeah. we, we're like, oh, you just don't understand me. But I think we give therapists more grace, so they can get away, I think, with saying a bit more uncomfortable truths that, coming from a friend, 
or a parent, like, we don't want to hear. Yeah. And maybe it might even be hard for your friend or your parent to tell you. They might see it, but then they might understand that you won't like what they're about to say. Yeah. So it might be hard for them to even go there and tell you that awful truth. And sometimes it might cause relationships to fall because you wanted them to be on your side. Mm. You know, like you said, sometimes you want to walk out of a therapy session because you're like, no, you're supposed to be on my side here. <laughs> So I wanted so the arts were very much a very much part of like a big part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like the dance and you said that you were in theater as well when you were in uni. Yeah. Which yeah. is why I was very surprised that you said that you didn't know that you had this love of writing until later in life. Yeah, it just wasn't I mean, I just never did it. So I dance since I was 13 um I took a break just off the uni but like dance was very like natural to me music's on I'm moving um and then in school like I used to do the plays um and so that continued into uni um and I was and I did the vagina monologues and I did for colored girls um what sorry just to interrupt so was for colored girls because I've, I've I've read the book and I've um, I've watched the Tyler Perry film. Uh, was it just like that? Um, what do you mean, sorry? As in, was it, if we're going to think about the Tyler Perry movie, was it a direct like link to that? Was this very similar? No, so I haven't watched the Tyler Perry movie, but apparently okay. if you've read the choreo poem or the text, the Tyler Perry movie is less, honorable to that honors it slightly less so we just we did the text so um it was a it was I can't remember how many of us now um but we were doing the text as it was I hadn't seen the film I still haven't seen the film I don't yeah don't bother yourself yeah that's that's (laughs) what I've been told that's not how we had an interest in the film Um, but that was yeah I fell in love um I fell in love with that show and that was a really great experience and thanks to the the beautiful woman that directed it and suggested it and who's now a good friend of mine, JK. Um, but the whole time, so I was growing, my love for theatre was growing and I used to go to theatre a lot, like growing up, my mom would always do Kids Week, which is like you buy one adult ticket and you get a child for free and then another one half price, whatever. So I would like, I spent some holidays going to musicals. Um, so I, I was in theatre a lot, but writing just felt inaccessible to me and a lot of people were writing whilst I was at uni and I was like oh that's cool 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 but I don't know why I decided but I just didn't think it was something I could do to the extent that when I had an idea for a play I suggestively coerced my friend to join me on the endeavor um and then I I, so I had the concept and I knew I wanted to I was like I'm going to interview people with mental um experiences of mental health difficulties and I want to turn those interviews into a show. And so we worked on the concept and I was like, cool, now we just need people to write certain parts of it. And, and it never occurred to me that I potentially could have written it. And I remember loving doing it. Um, but then I later that the next year, I remember thinking, I wish I could have written that. Mm-hmm. And that planted the seed of wishing I could write. But again, I never thought I could. And it was only after I started Chikus and when I, we first started, I did really struggle with um, finding any sort of balance in my life. Uh, I, I was I was working far too hard. Um, I, I feel like the business does more now. 
and I actually probably work like slightly less whereas then I was like working more and I don't really know on what like just creating I was just creating jobs for myself essentially um and I felt like I didn't have anything for myself and at the time I told myself this lie that I was like I probably can't go back to dance because I don't know if I can get off some time off each week so blah 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 and then I just had that little thought in my head as I would like to write something I would like to write um so I happened to go and and then this funny in that way where when you start thinking about something you start seeing things and so I'd been on Twitter and then someone had posted about there being a writing workshop um at the theatre in Stratford and so I went along to that um did I think they had three three workshops I did and I did them because they were only a fiver because I was like oh well it's fine I can just play around with a fiver if there'd been more I would have been like oh no like this isn't something you're good at like don't spend money on that um and then after one I got encouragement from the director to like explore the idea and then she suggested I apply for this writer's scheme and I was like okay fine like I'm quite like that to be honest like a yes person sometimes I was like oh yeah cool I'll do that um so I developed the idea a bit more interesting to be able to apply and then I got on um so that was Soho Theatre Writers Lab and it's on that scheme that I wrote my first play and they essentially like held my hand through the process but even then, I thought my play was good and I really enjoyed it. But I wasn't really, I didn't really have it in my head that I could be a writer, mm-hmm. even though I was writing. So by the virtue of writing, I was actually already a writer. You don't have to have something on to be a writer. Um, but like, it didn't occur to me that it could be my career. And so in the final session, when they were like, they'd got people in to talk about like career as a writer and they got an agent in and things like that. I just remember eating lots of sweets and getting this weird sugar high and thinking, yeah, after this, I'm going back to Excel. And that was it. Um, But then actually, what actually happened was someone at the theatre passed my script to the man that is now my agent. And then he called me in for a meeting um, and asked to sign me. And it was all quite embarrassing, actually, because I hadn't listened in that session. So I was like, I need you to explain what it's going to mean if you're an agent. (laughs) Like, I was like, can we just go back over that process and so very much with with writing um that was something that other people saw in me before I saw that in myself from the first point of actually even applying for the scheme to even when I had the script I was gonna just make I was gonna like put it into competitions that you could but I don't really like when I when my agent was talking to me and saying well when asking sign me he said stuff that I was like what and then I remember then at the time he was like, you know, I think you could do TV, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is all a bit too much for me to think about. <laughs> I didn't and think I was like, let's just, let's just take it one step at a time. <laughs> but actually, as it happens now, I'm like, I am trying to write TV and stuff. Um, and so it's just really interesting that like he, I've, it's a talent, I guess, to be an agent, like to see that in someone so early stage. But writing was definitely one of those things that I didn't see. I don't think I saw... Um, my talent actually I don't think that's just a writing thing I think that's something I'm not great at um which causes I think more stress for myself than I realize I I think I definitely underestimate myself yeah um I do with dance even um I can get really annoyed in class sometimes and then I'll watch a video I'm like oh it was way better than I thought and I've had people comment on that like when I dance I'm like oh I didn't really think it was anything like that and just in other parts of my life I maybe underestimate what I'm capable of and it's something when I'm aware of it it frustrates me quite a lot actually um but yeah I guess that's it's something I'm working on 
So now, so you're, you're dabbling both then, like you're writing, you're taking that on full time? Um, full time in the sense that I don't, I don't necessarily write every day, but it's not, I wouldn't call it a hobby. Yeah. And I get quiet. <laughs> I write in my head when people refer to my writing as a hobby. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, dance is my hobby. <laughs> writing is part of my career. <laughs> and I know it's difficult for people to understand because they see me as the co-founder of Chukus and that. And actually we live in a world where we want to be able to silo people. And so I've, I've done a lot of like, resisting being siloed and boxed in yeah and I sometimes people ask me oh which one do you prefer more like which one do you love more I'm like I'm I'm not making that choice you wouldn't ask a mother like which of her kids like yeah as far as I can see I've got a dual career and which actually knowing my personality and again like what I said to you at uni how I found it difficult to do one thing I think it feels actually quite natural to me that I have these two things that I do um and that I love and like I'm just yeah I'm such I feel like I'm very aware of how multifaceted I am. And I think we all are. And I actually just think that we don't actually necessarily give ourselves enough permission to explore the many facets of us. And that doesn't mean you have to make something a part of your career. Um, But I think we can do, I think we can sometimes resist, we can do more sometimes to resist the way other people choose to label us. Yeah. Um, or choose to want to see us and actually force people to see us how we want to be seen so like I've made a point of whether if I'm writing a writing bio I always mention chikus and if I'm writing a bio for the business I always mention writing because of, that is part of it and typically in both bios um, like I often it's rare that I write a bio now that starts with like oh I am an entrepreneur and a writer or something like that it's typically I'm a person that's interested in xyz yeah. And that currently manifests itself in the business and the, the, because I think also you can risk over identifying yourself with the work that you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually, what I wanted to speak to you, if we can just talk about Chukfoot, but I do have some questions there. <clears throat> because when did the idea, when did you and your brother decide we're going to do this? We decided that we were going to give it a go or like just try a thing. Um Oh my god, dates are slipping my head. Like uh 2015, 16. Okay. Um, but at that time, we it's not like we were saying, Oh, we're gonna start this business that's gonna open into this restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was very much more like we're gonna try a thing. Let's let let let's just see. That was more the idea. Like at the time, I was still thinking about the job I was going to do after uni, like what was I going to start? My brother was actually working. Um, and then he event- he took a sabbatical, but it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, yeah we know what this is going to be. Uh, we weren't there yet. Yeah. So how did the idea develop too? Because my thing is, obviously I, I don't usually agree with people when I like, I'm the kind of person that I believe anything is possible. So like I've always, my dad always put that in my head that anything they want that you want to do, you go do it. Like you can do it. But then not, but, but, um, in the restaurant business, people tend to be very scared of it. Mm. Um, how did you know that we might be onto something here? Considering that a lot of people might think that restaurants are very hard to maintain and they're hard to run and, some fail all the other negativity that comes with it yeah so it's interesting 
of all the things I've ever done in my life, I don't think anyone has ever told me just how difficult it would be more than restaurants. Like people that don't even run restaurants will go, ooh, you're going to do that. <laughs> That's what people say, right? But I think the thing is when we started, we didn't start with the restaurant that you saw today. So we didn't upfront put in X amount of cash and op- and take on a lease. Of the We actually yeah. started with pop-ups. So actually the risk at that point was very low. And at any point... At any point before we opened the physical space, again, worst case scenario, the loss was a smaller, a relatively small amount of money, the income loss from not having a city job, <laughs> and my pride and the time. Yeah. And so qualified like that, it it wasn't really there wasn't really much risk and actually Mecca was talking about this recently and he like we wrote a piece about like essentially the question was instead of why it was more why not um and at no point in this journey or in other things I do in my life the things I've said yes to I haven't had a good enough why not not to do them so then it's just been like okay cool and I'm not necessarily like I think I I'm brave and courageous but I think I take calculated risks and I do what I think I can afford in that sense. So if five years ago someone said to me, oh, do you want to take on this lease to open a restaurant? I'd have probably been like, no, I don't know about that because I d- how do I know X? Yeah. But what we did, like we, we had a very long gestation period. You know, we were a pop-up for four years before right. we opened up bricks and mortar. We, the menu was tried and tested. What we were going to be about was tried and tested. Um, and so when we opened what the idea was there was like okay how do we make a restaurant that's open 24 7 work but we weren't now discovering for example the concept and and even from a publicity point of view we weren't introducing people to the first time to the concept we'd already spent four years uh doing the best that we could to to prepare London essentially for what we wanted to do that's a very smart way of doing it it's something that I know in my character I'm, I'm probably not capable of because I'm always like full throttle right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take all the risk. <laughs> we have, we'll see what happens. <laughs> oh, okay. So that makes sense. So where were you popping up? So was it different places in London? And why did you decide on the location that you're at now? Um. Where did we pop up now? We did Shoreditch a number of times, Tottenham a number of times. We went to South a couple of times. Where else have we been? Hackney. Most of them tended to be in East, but we did go South a couple of times and then we went North to Tottenham. And why we opened in Tottenham, um, we just fell in love with the area. Uh, So, well, there's, there's a number of reasons actually. When we were popping up, we realised most of our community, the people that were coming, the Chilas, lived in East or they lived in South. And so we thought about what space would be easy enough for both parties, like both groups of people to come to. And actually, when we looked at it, you start to look around like the Tottenham Seven Sisters area just because of the transport links. Um, And we always knew we wanted to be on a high street our whole thing was about celebrating Nigerian culture loudly and we wanted a loud high street presence, like a space you couldn't ignore. Um, And then we wanted to be a restaurant that whilst it was a destination location and people would come to from wherever they were in London, we wanted it to have a neighbourhood 
feel and belong to the community yeah. and be a part like we set up chikus um with the community is being a big part of what we do um and like we talk a lot about our community of chop chatulas and we in, in start in opening our own space we wanted to be able to open in a place where we felt we could add value to the community where we felt we could belong to the community as well and and, and settle in and feel like part of a community and Tottenham in particular Seven Sisters definitely had that and and still has that and actually in opening it's, it was quite beautiful because it was like all the things that we wanted from a space from a location we were experiencing and like even during this time like checking in with your neighbours and having a chat with other business owners about what's been going on and it's it's got such like it just has such a like wonderful like community feel um yeah so those are kind of the reasons why we looked at where we wanted to go to and how we ended up in Tottenham Seven Sisters but whilst that was always where we wanted to open um or like very high on the list pretty much number one there weren't always spaces. So for a long time, we were looking and moving on a place in Dalston um, because we'd spent, literally, Emeka spent like days, one winter, walking up and down the streets of Tottenham trying to find somewhere. And there just weren't units. The units just weren't coming up, but other areas had units. Mm. Um, and so then it's when, when this one, when the Dalston one fell through and then this one came up, it actually, just, it just felt like, okay, this is what we've been waiting for. Okay. I'm always very interested because I feel like location is one of those things that you either get it right or you get it wrong. And if you mm. get it wrong, that can be the deal breaker to your project, whether it's a restaurant or a shop or whatever, because as much as you can have social media presence and people come based on finding you there, I think you also want that footfall mm. you want people to just see you and be like, oh, what's this? You know, and then just kind of go in really mm-hmm. yeah I think that that was definitely a consideration I think I think there are other concepts where depending on what your concept is or depending on who's behind the concept or also how much money you've got to put towards marketing or something like that where maybe you can have a, a more elusive like location and, and for some people that's actually their brand almost you know you don't know where this place is and mm-hmm. you have to go to the back end but I think very much for what we wanted and what we were envisioning and we wanted somewhere very obvious, very, somewhere very easily accessible. Um, and, and that's what we got. Yeah. So when are you just open back up, according to what the government says anyway? Um, it's still to be decided, but we'll be reopening. We will reopen in the summer, but exact dates, uh, we haven't announced them yet. Yeah. Are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. Um, and what's the word? I guess I'm preparing myself for it as well from opening and reopening and opening and reopening what I learned is that reopening is challenging <laughs> it's, it can be quite challenging and it really does depend on the environment that's been fostered by the news at the time oh, um right. so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it but I really do hope that it's like the final reopening and there is no more oh, <laughs> there is no more closing and so yeah I think I'm a bit maybe more apprehensive than I was last time around and I thought oh yeah cool that's it was now I'm like oh god yeah uh, I just need to open that to be it yeah so do you and your brother actively work in the restaurants or do you just do like the back-end work now we do more of the sort of um, management and oversight things though it's 
quite possible that someone could come to the restaurant and see one of us on shift because I think actually as part of that it's good to know what's actually happening um, and what's going on so when we reopened last time uh, Mecca and I were on shift and actually I think I worked if not the week before we closed I worked the week before we closed in back in December mm. and I was on shift then oh, okay do you enjoy it being on the floor yeah yeah, I do actually. And it, it was one of the hardest things to let go of because it can be challenging, difficult, but it's really nice seeing people enjoy the moment, enjoy the experience, whether they're coming for birthdays or whatever. And actually when we opened and that wasn't, when we opened and that wasn't, um, I guess, my main role anymore, I found it quite difficult to like leave the restaurant. I was like, oh, everyone's going to enjoy it and I'm not going to know like, I'm not going to know who's come. I'm not going to know how they found it. Like, I'm not going to be there experiencing it with them. Um, but I guess that's, yeah, that's just part of moving to another phase of your business. Yeah, it really is. You just kind of have to, I think that's the hardest part, right? Like, just kind of letting go of the reins and let someone else do it. Yeah, I think, yeah, that that is definitely a challenge and that letting go. Yeah. Are there any mistakes that you that you wish you'd have avoided, like, in the road to launching Chukus, or since you've opened? I think my mistakes made me on a personal level. Like, I think I, at different times, have wasted too much time mm-hmm. worrying about every piece of negative feedback we've maybe received. Okay. Um, and I think that was a waste of time because, actually, the balance of feedback meant most of it was positive. Um, and I think sometimes it's it's kind of taken me time for my skin to toughen and also to recognize actually just no matter how great the restaurant might be or how much lots of other people love it for some people they're just never gonna be about it in the same way there are restaurants that I know my friends love that are brilliant businesses that I'm like I don't want to go to or whatever it is whether it's a film or a show or it's there's always a level of subjectivity and I think I wanted everyone to love us yeah and then felt a bit heartbroken when they didn't but actually that it's not, it doesn't work like that in the same way. Like, you know, I've never, think about how big Apple is. I have zero interest in having an iPhone. Like I've never, <laughs> I'm saying no, if someone's given me one. And so it's that kind of thing. I don't think no one at Apple should be crying because Iffy in Essex doesn't want an iPhone. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm not their market. Yeah. I think it, it is hard to accept because this is your baby. You know, you, you've, brought this thing up from the ground up and you want everyone to love it as much as you do. Mm. And it does kind of hurt. It does sting when you find out when someone says, nah, didn't like it. And I think you do have to not take it personally. That They're not saying that they don't like you. Mm. They just might, this might just not be for them. Yeah, it's definitely easier said than done having a thick skin. But also at the same point, not being obnoxious because actually... I think you asking why is actually a good thing. And I think that's kind of when you receive negative feedback, it's to try and understand why. And then like, for example, with writing, um, I was advised, you know, when you're given a note, when you're giving notes about your script and people are suggesting changes, your job is to find out what is the note behind the note. Because sometimes people say something, but they mean something else. And it's like, when you've understood what the why is, that's almost like what's more important. It's not said, it's like, why has that person said it? And that can maybe tell you whether to take it on board or whether actually it's just this is just a this is just a misfit. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's very very common. I mean, you, if you look at things like Amazon reviews or whatever, I mean, 
you you see something has got five stars and there's always that one one star that is not for them and mm-hmm. it, that's just normal okay so i'm gonna move on to the roundup now right let's go let's go let's see let's see what i can come up with okay cool all right so if you could choose anyone which female entrepreneur would you have as your mentor dead or alive okay so this person um it's very much like because of where I am with the business um, and what we've done. Um, and because it, it was an entrepreneur to mentor me, so business. Um, and her name is Sahar Hashimi. Um, so that's S-A-H-A-R-H-A-S-H-E-M-I. And she's the co-founder, or she was the co-founder of Coffee Republic, okay. um, which was the massive coffee brand kind of before Starbucks came and take over. And she started it with her brother, um so they both left their jobs and they started coffee republic and they wrote a book about it called anyone can do it and yeah. america and i read it when we first started and the book itself is just generally inspiring like there are there's this bit in the book where they talk about sticking the stickers on the coffee cup and like i've been to coffee republic i knew how big that brand was and you just think oh wow i really start started with two people sticking these stickers on and i think there were so many parts of chuku's journey where america and i were doing things in such a in such a way like that even now after chocolate chill kits you know when we first launched I was there just literally making up cardboard boxes with sellotape and it's not at all cool or glamorous <laughs> or even that fun to be honest but that's actually just what you have to do there is just a lot of grafting in the early days well I think you're always grafting but a lot of like doing jobs you don't necessarily like um and the book talks about how they went from it being like the first one and scaling it up and they actually both eventually exited um but throughout it felt um the reason I said her because she's gone through that journey of this concept and at the time coffee wasn't really like what it is today so what they were doing was kind of novel um and so for me it's yeah they went through that journey of being to start up to scale up um in a sort of like hospitality adjacent industry but also what I like throughout is that use and I I don't know if it's the case today but very much with the impression you get from the book is that that her relationship with her brother um still stayed as strong as it was and so for me there's a lot of like reading that book I felt like I saw of all the of all the entrepreneurs that I've whose stories I've kind of been made aware of or businesses I've seen I don't think I've seen a story that's been more, most like akin to what it is that I'm doing right now. Um, and yeah, so for me, it would be her. Okay. I'll, I'll definitely look, look out for that book. I'm always looking for good books to inspire me and motivate <laughs> me. Uh, and which three celebrities or fictional characters would do you think best describe you? Mm. Okay. I have to... I thought I had the answer, but now I don't anymore. <laughs> um, I think the only one that really comes to mind, as you know, so I think I, I think of Serena Williams, mm-hmm. um, and that's because while she's a sports person. And I guess her job is to beat her opponent. It very much feels like, and I've actually never really read any interviews with her or not that many. It very much feels like she's competing against herself. 
Yeah. And she's just trying to see, like, how, whether she can be the best that she can be. And she's just, like, pushing her limits. And the beating another person is kind of just the nature of what she has to do to, to show that she can. But it very much feels like it's this internal competition with herself to just be the best she can be. Um, and I feel like, yeah, that's that's a very neat thing. I can resonate with that. Um, and then, and then I would say Rihanna. And Rihanna, because so I think there was a period of time when lots of people were commenting about her being a role model, which was a good role model, and she was like, "I never said I was going to be a role model." <laughs> and, She's very like puts two things up in the world, and many people have tried to put things onto her. Even like now, if her fans been like, "We want music," and she's like, "Okay, but I'm doing this now." Um, and I, she, she very much comes across as someone who does what she wants. Yeah. And I actually think her move into business has surprised a number of people. I think it. I think some people can't almost can't believe she was capable of it. Yeah. Um, but I think that actually. I don't think it's something that just happened. She would have been thinking about that. Your business doesn't just happen. She would have been thinking about that. She would have been moving strategically. Um, and I think she's someone, like, I love Rihanna, but let's be honest, when she came onto the scene, her voice was, you know, it, it was <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> um, but she <laughs> she's she's made a name for herself. And I think she, it very much feels like if you look back, that she had a clear vision of the sort of career or that she was going to make a career for herself. Yeah. And actually, given her music persona, the music industry, women in particular, are very disposable. And I think what she... And I feel like she had an awareness of that and thought about how she can actually go about um, crafting her own... Taking ownership of her own story and being her own person and doing what she wants when she wants it. Um, and, yeah, so in that regard, I feel a bit like... I think I would say her... Um, even from the way she dresses, I definitely have had a number of comments of my choice of dressing. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But my players aren't stopping me from doing what I'm doing. So next question yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and I know that in the way I've chosen to live my life and career choices and even other choices, lots of people haven't understood or have tried to like have tried to box me in in that kind of way. And I've kind of surprised them what we're doing. And I kind of have that, like, I'm not really interested in, what you have to say and I'm, I'm actually just here just trying to make myself happy not in a selfish egotistical way but like I'm just trying to live the life that I want to live um and then yeah I didn't get a third I just couldn't think of a third the, those two that you mentioned are literally on my um imaginable vision board that I want on this podcast because I I also admire them. Like I always say that Rihanna is my friend in my head. <laughs> like <laughs> friends and you know, all of that stuff. So yeah, I think those are really this is the second time someone said Serena. Only the second. Well, I only started doing this question. I only started doing these questions like recently. So I think this is like okay. the Third or fourth. I like, I'd like to see if she pops up more. I'm sure there's someone else, but my, like, when I get asked questions like this, it's like I can I can't think of anyone. Yeah, my mind just goes blank. Um, but yeah, those two, those two, I feel like 
there's parts of how I perceive their personalities anyway, what they really like, I don't know, but yeah. parts of how I perceive their personalities that kind of um, resonate with me. And also I feel like Rihanna takes good care of her friends and like both of them, they seem like having a good time and their friends and family like are a thing. And actually that's something I think about a lot. Like when people talk about, um, I guess when people, certain people they talk about, I think there's models of success. There's a certain model of success that doesn't have that in it. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a model of success that I'm interested in. Yeah. Because you have to you have to make sure that your loved ones are it's not fun to enjoy it by yourself, is it? If you're going to be successful. Yeah. All right. My third question, what advice would you give? Okay, so because you you have two careers, right? So this is gonna be like a two-part question. So what advice would you give someone wanting to start out in the writing industry, whether it's to do like script writing or creative novel writing and someone who's wanting to start in the restaurant or food industry? So I actually think my advice to both of them is the same. Mm -hmm. And it's to two bits of advice. Do it. Just do it. So if you if you want to write, don't keep telling your friend about the idea you've got. Write it. And I'm guilty of doing that now. Mm-hmm. I've told it to a couple of my friends about this new idea I have, which is really good. It's really great. There's not a piece of it on paper. <laughs> like, so <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore in my head. Um, and similarly, from a food point of view, the restaurant point of view, I think find some small way in which you can start. That doesn't mean taking on a lease. It might just mean if you want it to be on the food side, maybe it means doing dinner parties. Maybe it means working part-time in a restaurant so you can gain the experience but like do something I think one of the things that holds so many people back right now is all this like talking and the planning and no one's actually doing um and the plan needs to be executed on um so I would I would say that and then um but then the second bit would be to like (laughs) essentially to do you and remember that you're not your work. Mm-hmm. So the doing you is like, it's not necessarily the case that everyone will love what you do, but that doesn't mean you need to change what you're doing. Um, and my agent literally had to just give me this pep talk earlier today. Um, but then also not to identify too much with your work, because I think when you do that, that's when you don't look after yourself because you've you've convinced yourself that the, sex of, the success of your play, your show, your book, your restaurant, whatever, is is your is is like you, and actually, therefore, it is worth risking your health for. When I think actually, when you recognise that you're a separate entity to those things, you've written a script, and the script has its life of its own. The book has a life of its own, and your business has a life of its own. And we see that all the time, right? I think it's clearest when a founder exits that actually the business, the business and the founder, or the business and that person are two separate entities. And um, that's the whole point of starting a limited company is actually a separate entity legally it's a separate entity and so yeah I would say to like not over identify and which is so easy to say less harder to do um but to look after yourself and not over identify with what you do I like that I'll take that on board because I know I have problems with separating myself (laughs) (laughs) so I'll definitely take that on board and lastly where can people find you you can find me on social media sporadically <laughs> as I think you know um so I'm at iffy i-f-e-y underscore frederick on twitter and instagram and I'm also 
I'm probably actually more active at the moment on LinkedIn. I'm on a social media break from Instagram and Twitter. But um, actually more of my musings, I started a newsletter um, and big on asking questions and philosophy. And so you can sign up for the newsletter, which is called For the Curious Minds. Via, there's a link in my bio and Instagram. Um, I think it's also my pinned tweet. Um, I haven't actually been on either of those platforms since the beginning of the year. Um, and then through my personal profiles, that's where I post about what's going on with my writing and what's out next and where people can catch it. And then if people want to experience the restaurant, um, which isn't me, but it's what I do, <laughs> they can find Chikus at C-H-U-K-U-S-L-D-M. That's C-H-U-K-U-S-L-D-M. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. Well, we're not everything because we don't do TikTok. They don't know how to do TikTok. <laughs> Neither do I, girl. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's cool. So I'll put all of those in the show notes for everyone to find. But thank you so much for taking the time out. I know you're very, very busy. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Fiyinwa, for taking the time out of your very, very busy day to sit down with me. It might be COVID, but I know you're very, very booked and busy. So I really, really appreciate you. Take the time out to sit down so we can have this conversation. My heart is so full and I am just like motivated by your drive, your spirit, and mostly your passion to take care of you. I think that's very, very important because as entrepreneurs, we get so obsessed about this idea that we always have to hustle like we discussed we need to make sure that we're taking time out to take care of ourselves and that it's okay to do nothing sometimes it's okay to rest we need to rest and if you enjoyed this episode please let me know what you think my socials that girl tammy use the hashtag who moved my birkin sure as soon as we're out of lockdown you make the reservations to go down to chukus and have some nigerian tapas that information is in the show notes with the address website and all the socials that you might need if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast send an email to who moved my birkin at gmail.com Put guest in the subject line and your company name. And in the body of the email, please put your name, your company name, your details, and how I can reach you. As usual, I'll be back next week, Monday. I look forward to hearing from you and speaking to you. Take care of yourselves. Bye.